You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning. Great to see you. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Topic this morning, a very important topic, a discipleship theme, restoring God's design for our sexuality. Uh, earlier this week, we communicated that this would be a talk uh, for Sunday. We tried to encourage parents to read through the text, prepare their children. It's a sensitive talk, but I've spent hours, uh, and I believe it's a talk that will benefit all of us from the age group that we have present uh, and beyond. So let's pray that God uh, allows us to hear, to receive, and be transformed, to be discipled in our sexuality by God's word. All right? Author Philip Yancey said this. He got my attention. I know of no greater failure among Christians than in presenting a biblical and persuasive, persuasive approach to sexuality. As I read that comment by Yancey, who I deeply respect, you know I've referred to him in the past, it got my attention. I, I, I thought over the past 37 years of vocational ministry, 43 years as a Christian, I think that's a true commentary and it's a sad commentary. And it's perplexing. Why? Because the Bible has very much, as we're going to see today, to say about our sexuality. And so it seems like the church, and again, I'm apologetic a bit this morning as a vocational pastor, has taken an approach, don't ask, don't tell policy. In other words, if we just kind of dismiss it, it'll go away. But I promise you this, the world doesn't dismiss it. The world is taking sexuality as a dominant theme and trying to put us into its mold. So how do we respond as Christians the same way Paul responded to the church at Thessalonica? Thessalonica, the ancient world, first century is no different than 20th century, 21st century. And so we have a lot to learn from the apostle Paul. However, there's tension. This don't ask, don't tell approach it's really the byproduct of my generation and the sexual revolution that was promoted in the 60s. And friends, the results are staggering. What has resulted? There's shame in our lives from previous or current sexual choices that are not God-honoring. And we live in shame and guilt, and we don't know what to do with it. There's confusion over what the Bible teaches about sex. Why? Because we haven't been discipled by God's word and each other. There's division today within the church because of disagreements regarding God's design. And that's a key word this morning for our sexuality. Then there's despair. Why? Because addictions have consumed us. And you're going to hear some statistics that are current today. And then there's conflicts because of sexual tension that exists, yes, in marriages, in the home, in between people. Therefore, a don't ask, don't tell approach to our sexuality is inexcusable, but more importantly, it's unbiblical. I have a deep conviction this morning. We should never be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. Can I say that again? 
We should never be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. Sex is a gift, dear friends. It's a gift from God. It's what the brother of Jesus said. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? Comes from our heavenly father, a father of lights. Now, when you hear the word design, what do you think of? I hope you think of a designer, right? So let me show you something here. I, this is for the students. You know, when we have a, a good youth group represented, especially sitting down front, captive audience, any of you students know what this, this is? No. Uh, I was trying to get a donut ball from one of the little ones this morning. I stuck it out there. He ran away from me. So it's not a donut ball collector. All right, adults, can you? Nobody knows what this is? Come on, Trey. I thought you were the man. You play the game, I'm telling you. You don't know what this is? Let me, let me do something here. It has a unique design. Please, somebody tell me you know what this is. Yes, a golf ball retriever. And Trey, I'm very good at this because I lose a lot of balls in the water. Would you agree this is a uniquely designed piece and it's pretty cool? I mean, my goodness, if you shank one in the water and you can still see that baby and you... Scoop it back up, and you're like, man, sweet, save two bucks. Now, for you students, just imagine, right, you're teeing off. Trey, you play golf, right? All right, you know what? We're going to get you one of these from Pastor Keith. I'm going to get you one of these. Not to say, I mean, Trey's good. He drives further than me. I've heard his stats. He's good. Just imagine teeing off with this. How do you think that would work? No, nah, not too good, right? It wasn't designed to be a driver or a three or a five wood, right? Just imagine putting. I played a little golf yesterday, nice day. Had about a 30-foot birdie putt. You know what that is, right? Just imagine putting with this. W would you do that? No, because it's not designed for it. Friends, please hear me. Everything that we're going to talk about this morning and when we disciple our families in the area of sexuality, it starts with who? God. It starts with his design. And if we go back to the basics, we look at God's design, we will be enriched, we will be blessed, our families will be nurtured, and we will restore God's design for our sexuality. And so, chapters 4 and 5 of Thirst. First Thessalonians is all about discipleship. What Paul is doing here is he's wrapping up his letter. He's landing the plane. He's doing what he said in chapter 3, verse 10. He is filling in what was lacking in their faith. What was lacking? They needed to understand what the biblical worldview of sexuality was. Why? Their culture was absolutely distorted. And we're going to explore that a little bit. So stand with me, please. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. On the screen, but hopefully you have your Bibles. Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing. He's very encouraged, faithful, walking as you are doing 
then what does he say? Do so even more. And I'm going to help you do so even more by giving you some God-honoring instruction on human sexuality. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Notice this. This is in Paul's perspective. This is in first century cultural nuances of sexuality. This is teaching from above. This is God's design. We instructed you who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss that, friends. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Please be seated. And so, friends, the guiding principle of pleasing God is the motivation behind restoring God's sexual plan for your life and mine. I hope you have a Connect card, and I always like to share the blessings, so let's start there. I believe this with all my heart, and I'm speaking to myself. This applies very much to my own personal life, my marriage, my family, my kids. Uh, it's, it's such an important topic. Each one of us can live pure and holy. Why pure and holy? That's what sanctification is. It means being set apart for God. It means our lives reflect his glory in holiness by embracing what? God's design for our sexuality. Friends, if we don't, why do we call this series Blueprint? Because this is the model church. Remember the example. The only church in the New Testament that is given that title of an example, a model to follow. Beautiful thing. Well, let's follow also the model and example in our sexuality, sanctification, holiness, and so forth. And so there's so much we could talk about. Uh, and again, this is just going to touch the tip of the iceberg. I will refer you to one exceptional resource at the end. Parents, I, I hope you get the book. It, it is tremendous. It's new, and it'll help. So five-prong uh, action plan that Paul gives the Thessalonica church 2,000 years ago and us today. Design number one, and it starts out a little strong, amputate any corruption of God's design. And you'll learn quickly why I use the word amputate. It's a strong word. But look at verses three through five. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain. If you have your Bibles, that's a key word in this uh, passage, and we'll talk about that, from what? Sexual immorality. It was rampant in the first century, just like it's rampant today, so that each of you will know how to control his own body. How? In sanctification and honor. That's what holiness is. That's what purity is. When we live holy, when we live pure, we give God glory. We honor the gift of our sexuality. Not with lustful desires. Notice, like the Gentiles, the pagans who do not know God. And so Paul's thesis is real simple. When you know God, you get to understand his design. When you understand his design, as part of knowledge of him, you get to live it in a manner that's honorable, pure, holy, sanctifying. It sets you apart from others. Now, in, this, in these verses, Paul reminds these new believers that sexual immorality and lustful desires are what? Contrary to God's design and do not please him. Because God designed sex as a gift for humanity. 
He has the authority to govern its use and establish healthy boundaries. Please hold on to that phrase, healthy boundaries. They're essential today to understanding God's design and to living in a manner worthy of the gospel in our sexuality. Healthy and God-honoring boundaries does not mean, and youth, please hear me, does not mean that God is a cosmic killjoy or that somehow he's prudish or he's got his head in the sand and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what we're up against. Healthy boundaries are just the opposite. He understands it all. He gives us the boundaries to live fulfilled in him in our sexuality. Please remember this. God is the one who created human sexuality and created the nerve endings to enjoy sexual pleasure. The same God also inspired King Solomon to do what? Write the Song of Solomon. I love it that Jewish boys, when they became young men, their fathers tutored them in the Song of Solomon. Help them understand, parents, their sexuality. Yes, at the right time, at the right stage, parents need discernment when to have these talks, but they had the talks. And it was essential in Judaism if they're going to raise their young men to be God-honoring. What a very cool thing. And so there's some great resources, parents. I want to encourage you that at the right stage, you can do what the Judaistic fathers did. So God exalts sex. He uses one book in the Old Testament to promote it. And then you jump to Ephesians 5. What do we have? We have a picture. It's a mystery, Paul says, that our sexual union, our love for each other as husband and wife is what? A picture of Christ's love for his church, his union with us. And so when we discover the purity and the holiness and the sanctification side of it, that's a picture of the union with Christ. It's quite remarkable. Now, God's design goes all the way back to the book of the beginnings, the book of Genesis. Let me show you this. In Genesis 2, 24 through 25, and again, for those of you who've been around for a few decades, this seems like basic stuff. It's no longer basic, folks. This is contrary to the world's view right now. Do you understand that? It's absolutely contrary. Students, you will not be taught this in school or in university. But here's what the Bible says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So please hear me. From the beginning, God established marriage as the spiritual and sacred union between one man and one woman for life. That's foundational, but it's no longer embraced today as reality. As creator, God designed human sexuality to be physically pleasurable, potentially reproductive, but above all, deeply and spiritually intimate, to cement the union between a husband and wife and also a picture of their union with the Savior. That is why Paul states, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is sanctification? It is the process of being set apart, of being unique, 
of honoring God in our sexuality. Therefore, doing God's will and living holy means we practice our sexuality where? In the context of marriage, don't miss this, between one man and one woman. Again, that used to be foundational, right? It used to be basic. It's no longer that which the world embraces. This past week, Ellen and I spent time with a gal from our youth group all the way back in the uh, early 90s. Anna's her name. Anna's 40 right now, married, five kids, and we were reminiscing youth ministry. And she took us aside, and we just had some beautiful time together. It was very emotional. And she says, you know, when I went to university, I thought I was pretty strong in the Lord. And boy, almost from the get-go, I felt the pressure and the temptation to give in to the things of the world. I didn't know any believers. They didn't have any campus ministries. She felt all alone. And she remembered one day that her, her roommate was just intoxicated beyond measure, and she's holding her hair above the toilet, and she's vomiting her guts. And Anna told us this. She says, Keith, I had a decision to make. Will I be in the world and not of the world? Or will I be in the world and go all in? She said, I made a decision to be in the world, but not of the world. And so you know what happened? Four years of university, she became a physical therapist. Her friends embraced her. They respected her. In fact, they would introduce Anna sometimes and say, hey, this is Anna, just so you know. And she'd go to their parties and stuff, right? The sorority, all that kind of stuff. She says, Anna doesn't drink, so don't even mess. And by the way, she doesn't sleep with guys. Can you imagine getting introduced like that in a party? But some of those guys protected her and honored her and respected her. Why? She accepted God's design. Today, five kids, beautiful family. She's serving right now in her early 40s on a pastoral selection committee of a large church in Cincinnati. We're just celebrating the gift of growing up in God's design in a solid home, in a solid church, in a solid youth ministry, saying yes to God, making that tough decision. I'm going to be in the world. I'm going to witness for Christ, but I'm not going to be of the world. And that is a choice, and it's a conscious choice. Now, folks, I want you to look at the word abstain because it's a big word in this passage. Um, it's not strong enough. It sounds strong, but it's not strong enough. It literally means in the Greek to stay as far away from something as possible. The Phillips translation says this, make a clean cut, amputate. The same word is used in uh, Luke 15, when the prodigal son was a far away from home and a far away from his father. He was separated. We're called to amputate any uh, aspect of sexual immorality in our life. If you think it's too strong, listen to what Jesus said, Mark 9:43. And if your hand caused you to downfall, do what? Cut it off. <laughs> That's a pretty tough teaching. You know what I mean? Why? It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. The quenchable fire. He said the same thing in Mark 9.45. If your foot causes you to stumble, what do you do? Cut it off. We can extend this principle to any area of our life. 
Any area of our life in our sexuality that is immoral and not according to God's design, cut it off, amputate it, get it right, honor God, please him. Ephesians 5.3 is a supportive verse, and I love this. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. What a phrase, even a hint. No one would even think that that could be a part of your relationships, your home, your marriage. Not even a hint that it exists. Boy, that's, that's a high calling. That's raising a bar. Way to go, Paul. However, here's what's happening today in Christendom, just so you know. The data is daunting. Instead of amputating, what's happening is we're moving more towards the world and the culture. Let me give you a few statistics. Today, more than 60% of Christians on Christian dating sites said this, that they would have sex before marriage. That's real. And it's sad. And it's the pressure that's being put on our youth culture today. We're not prudes here, students. God isn't a cosmic killjoy. He loves you. Why does he give these boundaries? Because sexual intimacy in the context of marriage is glorifying to him and best for you. The data resonates with that. Now, in addition, the Barna Group found 41% of practicing Christians believe cohabitation is a good idea. And there's a lot of reasons they'll say it. Oh, you know, I've got to test drive the car. Really? Is that how it works? How about trusting God? How about believing this is truly love? And we're going to serve each other. The marriage bed, according to Hebrews, becomes sacred. And before the Lord, we honor each other. And so the first application point could be a very hard one for all of us. Is there any hint of sexual immorality? Any hint whatsoever? If there is, amputate it. If you need help, we're here. Folks, we are here. This isn't guilt. This isn't shame. This is a church that says yes to sanctification, to discipleship, to purity, to honoring God. Previous ministry I came from, over 1,000 people, two campuses. We ran every man's battle once a year for many years, and literally dozens and dozens and dozens of men got freed from pornography. They said yes to amputation, yes to moving forward. My right-hand guy, my colleague, one of the campus pastors of the church was a missionary in Israel, eight years, and um, he struggled with this. His wife called him out and said, it's you, it's me, or it's that, you choose. He went and he got help. He led that ministry called Every Man's Battle. He wasn't ashamed to confess. He was addicted for years. He told his story. Our elders said, yes, tell your story. Lead our men to purity. And he did. Folks, it's not a formula. It's a discipleship. That's what it is. Amputate. Get help. Talk to us. Design number two, be a student of God's sexual design. Look at verses three through five. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. Please hear me on this. Remember, the church is 
three, three weeks with Paul. They're young in their faith. They're new believers. They're immersed in a pagan culture. They needed instruction. We used to be grounded well in this topic. I think we need equal instruction. We need to understand. We need to be students. You know what Paul's calling for? He's calling for a discipleship model for honoring God in our sexuality. But we haven't thought through that, folks, what that really looks like or what that means. This is serious stuff. I've done a lot of discipleship over the years. And as a youth pastor, we did offer uh, uh, sessions in Sunday school, 13 weeks every two years for sexuality. We would bring in doctors and so forth. We did our best. We partnered with parents. But it's an ongoing narrative. And boy, the culture just talks and uh, educates so much more. So let me give you two, two thoughts on maybe discipleship principles here from the passage and the Bible. Principle number one, learn what tempts you and be proactive and flee from it. Where do I get that from? It's Romans 13, 14. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it say? Do not make provisions for the flesh. Be proactive. If you know you have a fleshly appetite, if you know you're going to be tempted, stay away from it. Run. Do you remember the story in, in Genesis when Joseph, he's sold as a slave to Egypt. He's serving in Potiphar's home. He's doing well. Young man, viral, ready to take on the world. Doing well, flourishing, right? He was Potiphar, the captain of the guards, right-hand man. A lot of responsibilities all in. Do you remember what happened to him? Potiphar's wife had her eye on him, this young guy. I believe Joseph knew that. I believe he uh, kind of recognized that this boss of mine's wife was interested. But you know what he did? He was proactive. And let me share with you what Joseph says when she tempts him. And it's remarkable, folks. Genesis 39, 9. You want, you want to hold on to a scripture that's high in theology and high in practicality. Joseph got it. He says this, no one in this house is greater than I am. I'm Potiphar's right-hand guy. He has withheld nothing from me. And then he speaks directly to the gal, except you. Guys, don't miss this. Because you're his wife. And marriage is sacred. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Joseph's given theology. I can't do this. This is adultery. Yes, there's such a thing as adultery when a marriage covenant vows get violated. And then notice what he says. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against who? God. I won't do it to you because you're his wife, but I won't do it to God because I love him. My faith is sacred. I'm set apart. Yes, I'm a young man. Yes, I have desires. Of course, Joseph wanted to get married and, and fulfilled sexually, but in the boundaries of scripture and God's design and God's will. Way to go, Joseph. What a model. And you young folks, when that day comes, it knocks on your door. Married couples, when there's temptation to drift elsewhere, Genesis 30, 39, 9. I won't do this. 
I'll not sin and do this great evil against God. I'll not corrupt my marriage vows. They're sacred before the Lord and each other. Years ago, a student <clears throat> says to a pastor, <clears throat> you know, when I'm with my girlfriend, I just can't overcome the temptation. She's just too tempting. So the pastor says, really? Is that how it works? I said, just imagine, he gives a hypothetical, that you and your girlfriend are home alone, you're on the couch, and you're tempted, and you can't control yourself. And all of a sudden, a car pulls up in the front. A couple doors open, close, and your girlfriend says, my parents are home. Do you think you could control yourself? I think so. You know why? He was listening to something. Doors opening and closing, cars pulling up. He was listening that there's accountability. Who are we listening, folks? Is it the world? Is it our lustful passions? We have passions, we have desires. They're God-given. Live within the boundaries. And so, God designed our sexuality, and it reflects his character we need to walk in that. Principle number two, and this I hope is helpful. Engage creative and helpful resources that promote uh, purity, family values, and so forth. Paul Harvey, do you remember him? How many know Paul Harvey? I used to love listening to Paul Harvey. He, he's just a character. I don't know where he gets this stuff from, but it's just good stuff. He tells a story about a stewardess. Just picture this. You know, you're on the plane, and you got some knucklehead in the back, some knucklehead in the front, uh, you know, kind of flirting with you and, you know, tempting you. So the guy in front says to the stewardess, hey, uh, here's my address tonight. Here's the keys. I'll see you later. So you know what she does? She takes the keys and the address to his room, goes back to the knucklehead in the back, says, hey, I'll see you tonight. That's creative. It flipped it on them. But folks, it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. So let's get creative. What did we do as parents, and some parents can encourage each other? We used a ministry called Safe Eyes. And this was many years ago when the kids were junior high. It took out promiscuity, it took out vulgarity, it took out violence, and we could still watch some of the movies, Band of Brothers, movies like that. Today, I want to encourage families, consider this, Pure Flicks, Wholesome family resource, watching movies together, enjoying the ethics and the Christian culture. For those of you who struggle with pornography, and again, this ain't a guilt and shame church. This is a church that wants to disciple and help you overcome. Here is a great resource. It's called Covenant Eyes. And if you need help, that's a ministry that can help. I had a call, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks ago, from a guy in our community. My marriage could end. Um, pornography has immersed my life in marriage since I've been a teenager. Can you help? Of course we can help. I called a colleague who was on staff with me in Ohio, and he wrestled with that. He went away to a program uh, in the South for nine months, dear friends, nine months to get freed from pornography. I talked to him a few weeks ago and tried to connect the dots to help each other 
to support each other. There's resources out there. You don't have to live in hiding. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. Let's tackle this. Let's move forward. Third, and we got to move, design number three, do not let the culture design your sexuality. Look again at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires. Notice the next phrase, folks. Why do I say culture? Like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, again, I don't think Paul was mean. I don't think he was a hater. I don't think he was a bigot, you know, and, and those Gentiles, those pagans are rotten. The only thing that was radically different is they didn't know God and know his will. That's all he's saying. Don't let the world put you into its mold. That's what he's saying. But I would suggest today the world is winning the battle. Let me take you back to the ancient world. Um, this is what they dealt with. This is a picture of the temple of Aphrodite. You can Google it. You can learn a ton about it. This is the goddess of sexuality. Okay? Uh, basically, uh, Thessalonica wasn't too far from Athens or Corinth, where these temples were everywhere. Guess who lived there? 1,000 prostitute priestesses. You know what a prostitute priestess is? It's a brothel. Okay, this is Amsterdam, right? This is the, the district. And so you went to these temples and did what? You had sex, illicit sex with a prostitute, but it was an act of worship in the ancient world. It was, quote unquote, God honoring. That's the darkness in the culture back then. So if you think, gosh, we're climbing uphill, well, we are. How about them? They had a lot of work to do to purify their sexuality. Not only that, when you read about the worldview of the day, let me give you a few uh, pictures. Uh, the Greek historian Plutarch, he lived around uh, 46 AD for about 80 years. He said this, a wife should not be angry if her husband sought sexual pleasure with another woman. You know, when I read that, the first thing I thought, well, Plutarch, you want to flip that around? A husband should not be angry if a wife sought sexual pleasure from another man. Flip it around, Plutarch. Why does the man get the advantage here? That's the world's view. That's, it's self-centered. It's self-pleasuring. It's lustful desires. And we have to do our best to run from it. So, dear friends... What we deal with today, they dealt with 2,000 years ago. God gave uh, honorable boundaries, but they're radical. This would be a paradigm shift beyond measure. Now, um, to the students, I want to apologize for my generation. We have failed you. And even the church, I believe, to the students have failed you. Why? We haven't discipled you well. The world has. My generation has gone all in. Songs like, uh, do it till you're satisfied. Whatever it is, you got to do it. You got to do it. I used to sing that all the time. Oh, really? Do it till you're satisfied? That's just self-centering. 
You might not even know this guy's name. Let me put his picture up there, Will Chamberlain. Hall of Famer. Check out those uh, shorts, though. Yeah, crazy back then, right? He wrote a book, A View from Above, and as pastors, you get these things, why to stay informed. This came out in the early 70s. You know what he says? And I quote, at age 15... I began my sexual encounters with women that included some 20,000 partners. And he said, if I do the math, it's about one a day. And then he says this, I quote, some of those were meaningful relationships. 20,000 partners, meaningful relationships? That's the world's mold. One man, one woman, covenanting for life consummating with sexual intimacy. That's God's design. That's God's pattern. So it begs the question, if the world can't educate us, where do we go? Let me give you a few scriptures. Psalm 119, 9, David writes, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. We go back to God's word. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by truth. Your word is true. Let the Bible disciple you on human sexuality. So let me give you a few contrasts. Here's what the world says. The world says safe sex. You know what God says? Sacred sex. The world says tolerance and all kinds of alternatives. What does God say? Divine design. The world says satisfaction. What does Jesus say? What does Scripture say? Self-control. Our culture says premarital sex. The Bible says premarital respect. I'll never forget one of my first hang times with my son-in-law. His name is Ryan. He's been here. Getting to know him. Godly man. Good kid. I said, Ryan, I ask one thing for you as you court my daughter, Erin. Just one thing. He said, wow, one thing. That's okay. So I told him. Honor Aaron. Honor her. If you honor her, you're going to have a marriage that flourishes. Honor her. Respect her. Treat her in Christ. Love her as Christ loved the church. And we talked, of course, about premarital sex. I had the privilege to co-officiate their wedding. And what an honor to know that they honored each other. It's a gift, folks. It's a gift you give each other. Design number four. Recognize the consequences of distorting God's design. Please don't miss this. Stick with me. I know we're running late. Verses six through eight. We've got to address this real issue. Paul says, this means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. Why? Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives us his Holy Spirit. Now, please hear me, and Caitlin, you did a beautiful job, you know, calling us to worship today. If you're in Christ, you're, you're not under condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a blessing. That is a gift. But I promise you this, folks. There still is a principle in your life and mine as Christians. We reap what we sow. 
if we move towards the world's agenda on human sexuality, it will have consequences. All you have to do is look around and you see that empirically. The brokenness in people's lives because of the promiscuity of sexuality. If you could go back in time and ask King David what he would do differently, what do you think he would say? When he looked down and he saw Bathsheba, I wouldn't have called her to my quarters. Why? Adultery led to murder, led to being a fugitive from God, led to Nathan, led to a child dying. Consequences were great. That's why Galatians 6 says, we will reap what we sow. Is there grace? Yes. Is there forgiveness? Always. But remember, God is the avenger. We reap what we sow. Now finally, and this is so encouraging, the way this passage closes. Design number five. Depend on the Spirit's work to fulfill God's design. Look at verses eight, seven and eight. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who does what? Gives you his Holy Spirit. You know what's beautiful here, folks? We're not left to our own strength that somehow you and I are going to overcome our fleshly desires. We cannot recognize that. That's why Galatians says, the Spirit of God wages war against the flesh. The flesh wages war against the Spirit. They're always battling. Let the Spirit win out. Let the Spirit convict you and move you towards amputation. Let the Spirit teach you God's word and create those beautiful boundaries and live that sanctified, holy, pure life in sexual harmony. One man, one woman, coveting for life. Save sex till then. That's the blessing here. Some of you might know the name Aaron Ralston. 2007, he was hiking. He got his right arm trapped by an 800 to 1,000 pound boulder. A week was passing by, hypothermia, starvation was setting in. He only had one option. He took out a pocket knife. If you've seen the movie, he cut off his arm. He said, I only had one option, to cut off my arm. He lives, he tells his story. It's remarkable, a movie has been made. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds difficult, but I want to encourage you. Whatever it is that is hurting God's design for your sexuality, cut it off, amputate it. If you need help, we're here to help. Now, I mentioned, I want to encourage parents especially to get this book. Here it is. It's a resource, God's Design and Why It Matters, Rethinking Sexuality. I believe this is one of the best books on the market. It's done by a, a doctor, a counselor. She has this powerful ministry began about 17 years ago, and she's winning the day for discipling families, couples, youth, for God-honoring sexuality. Two questions in closing. Let's put them up on the screen. Question number one, are you letting God's word disciple your sexuality? Parents, I plead with you this morning. Your children will be discipled. The question is by who? Will you be proactive? There's a ton of resources. We can help you. I've had families, couples, moms, dads take retreats with their daughters and sons two, three days together, walk through what it's all about. Get them ready. Give them God's view 
Are you going to let God's word or the world? The world's already doing it. That's why I say restoring God's design. Secondly, question number two. Are you expressing sexual love that conforms to God's design? And again, this is more to the couples. We're here to help, guys. Again, this isn't a bully pulpit. This is a discipling church. We want to help you experience a God-honoring marriage, covenant love relationship that expresses the Song of Solomon the way God designed it.